my dad was just a workaholic and he was incredibly proud of me. So anytime he would see me on TV, he'd just start crying. He was just a proud dad. And my mom, she had a gambling addiction. Mm. So I think uh, the effort she would take to kind of like siphon some of the money I would earn to gamble, the effort she would put into that kind of uh, took away whatever power she might have had to uh, discipline me when I started to go off the rails. Mm. So we kind of had an agreement where I wouldn't bust her balls for stealing my money and gambling and she wouldn't bust my balls for whatever I was doing. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Sean Weiss is my guest on this episode of Knocking Doors Down. You might know him as Greg Goldberg and the Mighty Ducks, also in the Ben Stiller film Heavyweights, and so many other acting roles. Unfortunately, Sean faced some addiction issues that nearly took his life. It was heavily publicized with photos of him all over the internet and news that he had gotten to the point of even losing all of his teeth. Now, Sean is over two years sober. He's not only thriving within the recovery community, becoming a source of hope and inspiration and helping others through their journey. We have an amazing conversation. Sean drops a lot of knowledge in this episode, as well as some insight in how he fell into his addiction and it connects to different traumas throughout his childhood, plus a lot of the emotions that he went through in his career. 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. Right now, I am wearing my new 5150 hat, warm weather jacket. As well, I got my new 5150 joggers on that I like to wear around the winter time. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And of course, I said it helps within the community. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three amazing programs, the Race to End the Stigma, which focuses on mental health the race for autism, helping families in the community who have children that have special needs and are on the autism spectrum scale, and the race to be drug-free, providing free after-school athletic programs to the youth within our community, keeping them off the streets, away from gangs and drugs. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. Here's Sean Weiss. I went on uh, Tucker Carlson and uh, I revealed to him that one time uh, on meth, I had masturbated in a tent under a bridge for 14 hours in a row. And after I said it, I was like, maybe not the best thing to talk about from a PR standpoint. (laughs) (laughs) But it it is where we go, you know, you know, I mean, it it was kind of a half joke, but yeah, I was in that space. (laughs) <laughs> uh hey man it's okay sounds familiar you know i've yeah. I went through a lot of the same stuff uh, i am i feel like i'm such a different person now that i really don't mind talking about you know the horrible crap that happened just because i feel like it's, i'm a different person so i'm not really as ashamed or embarrassed as i used to be yeah. after before my thousand hours of uh therapy that i've had over the last <laughs> three years over a thousand hours. That's a lot of therapy, right? Yeah. So you're about an expert now, right? What are they? Is it a thousand or is it 10,000 to be 10, an 10,000. 10,000. Right. I will be a master at getting therapy. <laughs> we could start a but club. Yeah. Right. Well, it, I got to be honest. It helped. First of all, thanks for Medi-Cal because I can't imagine how much a uh, thousand hours of therapy would have cost. I mean, that's expensive right. that's stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thinking back. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll probably, maybe we'll talk about it a little later, but I started a totally different method with a buddy of mine, um, who's like, Hey, I just want to challenge you. I'm doing this story work. So it was actually me writing out like the different areas I was struggling in. And then we'd write the story and reframe it. And I was like, Holy shit, dude, this helps more than the people I was paying a hundred dollars an hour for, you know? So 
Yeah, because when you start to analyze yourself and start to unpack stuff, you know, the awareness is is the half the battle. Once you understand why you're a certain way, you can kind of overcome it. Yeah. You know, once you know what this is, this happened to me as a kid. That's why I'm like this. Then yeah. you can grow from it. But if you're not aware, it's kind of like you're kind of like trapped in it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was and and definitely in the people pleasing lack of boundaries. And, you know, like that's still the big key thing working on boundary. My last relapse was all about boundaries and it's not the other person's fault. It's it's my fault, you know, and gosh, that's yeah, that's the tough. <laughs> tough so what thing. do you mean? Uh, in what in what way did your did the your issue issue with boundaries lead to the relapse? Uh, being a people pleaser. Um, you know, a so, I mean, people pleasing is a lie in itself, right? It's manipulation. If we're sitting and we're not, I suffer from the same disease. Yeah. If we're not having good boundaries and, and we're, we're, we're going and just letting someone dictate what we're going to do just so that we get the perception that they like us. So it's this loop of a, of a lie and false connectivity and everything else, you know, for me, it was just that, you know, that whole thing, because the person I allowed all of the self-esteem and resonance of the connection to sit in their hand. And when they crushed it and, and, you know, I went from cool to a piece of shit, just like that, like well, that. Then, then it's the attic brain. It was easy to go. You're right. I am. And, uh, you know, the, the ultimate pain in the story I've been telling myself forever because of the stuff that happened to me here it is. Uh, I'm in it you know, why not drink? Cause that was my solution, which clearly not a solution as you know, not a good solution. Yeah. Hey, Sean, let me ask you about uh, gratitude. I like to uh, ask people like three things they're grateful for today. Oh God. I I'm grateful just that I woke up in the morning. I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that I had, uh, you know, that I was able to make a living yesterday. I'm grateful for all the people I met. I li I really do. I tuned myself to live in gratitude because I had I had none of that in my old life. I used to drive a BMW M3, and I was mad that it wasn't a Ferrari. All right. And I didn't appreciate anything, and I had to lose everything just so I could appreciate anything. Unfortunately, that was my journey. But now, I literally appreciate every breath that I take. I'm consciously aware of, of that gift all the time. Is a lot of that stemming from the career stuff? I mean, I would think that ego would be pretty hard to keep in check when you're young. You know, you're Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, you were you and I are about the same age, so I grew up with your work. We were talking before we hit record and then my kids, you know, have grown up with your work. Easy on the my kids part. You're making me feel old. <laughs> but listen, I, when I was a young kid, I was kind of treated like a celebrity. I I was taken out of school and then I'd fly away and do movies. And, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like, not like I was better than these kids, but like I was something, I was special, right? I was, how could I not feel like that? Yeah. So it definitely built up in me this feeling where I, I'm kind of a snob and I saw people on the bus and I kind of looked down on those people. Those are the bus people. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of lived. Um, the opposite of gratitude. Right now, I uh, you know after riding that bus for three years, I drive a uh, a neat two thousand nine Nissan Altima, and I love that thing <laughs> so much. <laughs> well, it's going to be on on public transportation in Los Angeles, man. Whoa. <laughs> I had a buddy that's uh, for people that you know that they're Los Angeles. He's like, you know, they're pushing this initiative of of public transportation. I'm going to try it to get to work. So his 45 minute <laughs> took two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like so so, people don't get it. I mean, it, the, the, the uh, public transportation is great in L.A. It'll get you there, but it's going to it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were just did a, a Comic-Con and um, you said a lot of people just coming up and really, you know, your story of of hope. I mean, you know, we I followed it, John. I got to tell you, man, I'm kind of getting chills. I, I watched it and like I, I'm probably a part of those people that were praying for you, man. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Thank you. Like that means so much. I really feel like that's 
the power of that prayer and the power of like the public's, you know, well wishes definitely, definitely influenced me and and manifested and helped me recover. How could it not? Yeah. When when's the point? Let's reflect on childhood because we were talking about my childhood a little more. Let's talk about Sean. Obviously, you know, the the movie career being in films and everything else, you know, you're you're a kid. But what what else was going on behind the scenes? Where was there where was the the parenting, the checks on these things, the well, it's interesting you mentioned that. My uh, my dad was just a workaholic, and he was incredibly proud of me. So anytime he would see me on TV, he'd just start crying. He was just a proud dad. And my mom, she had a gambling addiction. Yeah. So I think uh, the effort she would take to kind of like siphon some of the money I would earn to gamble, the effort she would put into that kind of uh, took away whatever power she might have had to uh, discipline me when I started to go off the rails. Mm. So we kind of had an agreement where I wouldn't bust her balls for stealing my money and gambling, and she wouldn't bust my balls for whatever I was doing. So unfortunately, that's the way that kind of worked out. But that's really, you know, I think that's basically what happens. Everybody, There's this stigma about child actors and how all of us end up on drugs or whatever. I think the real problem is when when you're a kid and you start earning money, it's very hard for your parents to tell you what to do when you're, you know, paying the car note. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, but in my case, in my with my particular story, I really didn't run into problems with hard drugs until my late 30s. Mm. And, you know, it definitely, you know, my whole backstory definitely figured into the the final synopsis. But basically, I had a, a bad breakup that, and my father passed away. And it was those things that really put me in a depression. And that's what really put me on the meth pipe. Because the first time I hit meth, I just had, I was relieved. I didn't feel that depression anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was like, it, it helped me. I, I, I say a lot that I don't know, I don't know if I'd be here if I didn't start doing meth. I might have tried to kill myself or something. Yeah. So, you know, it was uh, it was helpful at first. And that's that's the problem with these drugs. At first, they kind of they're performance enhancers until they, you know, begin to destroy us. Yeah. And I mirror what you, you're saying right there. I, I spoke at a high school and at the end, the, the you know, the class questions this young lady goes, you said you're a grateful alcoholic. Why? And I go, I wouldn't be here, it, you know, as much as. I don't encourage anyone going down the road of addiction in an odd way. It kept me from dying from not from taking my life, you know? So I know, I know what you mean by that, you know, and in the knocking doors down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira foundation's race to be drug free campaign. So what's that all about through the race to be drug free campaign? Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I don't know, took away a lot of those, like you said, the depression, the emptiness, the everything else, which started for me pretty young. Did that, did you feel that pretty young? Like you said, you, you, it's not so much you were looking down on the other kids, but you said you knew you were different. So was it hard to connect with other people your age? Um, I don't, I don't know. Not really. No, I never had a problem, um. Connecting with the uh, with kids, I think you know. Uh, essentially, the the uh, it it just became about feeling different, you know, being isolated. Like I would uh, I would go and work on these movies, and I'd miss a couple months of school, and I'd come back, and the kids were just kind of like, "Where where was this guy?" So mm -hmm. I mean, it was just definitely separation. They say that uh, 
you know, connection is the opposite of addiction. And and definitely earlier on, I think the the the, the way my career had the most negative impact. Um, I just had a point that I really want to make. Let me let me remember what I was going to say. Oh, that's right. So right from a very early age, my entire feeling of self, my self-worth was really based on my success in my career. Right. So if I was in a movie, things were good and people liked me and I was making money. So when I wasn't on TV and in the movies anymore, that's really what when it affected me, when that stuff went away. Yeah. Because I was worthless. If I didn't have a BMW and I wasn't on t- on a TV show, I had no value to anyone. So right. I think that's re- where it really uh was detrimental to me. When it when the stuff when it went away. When I was um you know on sets and stuff, it really was never a problem for me. I was never doing hard drugs, you know, while I was working. How how long uh what about what age was it getting harder and harder to get roles? Well, I I basically when I was uh I guess 21, I met like my first live-in girlfriend and I moved her into my apartment. And it was really my first girlfriend. I never really had that kind of relationship before. And uh, I kind of took from the age of 6 to 21, I'd been working nonstop. Right. So I kind of wanted a break. I had some money in the bank and I felt like I could just take a break. And I felt like Hollywood would be there for me when I came back. And really what happened was I started to um, no show, no call for uh-huh. auditions and things like that. And that's a no, no in Hollywood. You can you can get away with just about anything. You can show up high, but you've got to show up. Right. You, can't, you can't not show up. So my agents were, war- were warning me, bro, you can't do this. You got to show up. And uh, I kind of ignored that. I kind of just figured, I got this. And so after a couple of years, literally a couple of years went by before I even had the, I- the notion to try to go on an audition. And when I, I tried to get back in, uh, the loop that I was in kind of closed off without me. And that's really how 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 that, uh, how my career kind of, uh, fell off. If you would. Is that a point then of, um, I could imagine that trying to numb that, like you said, your self-worth was wrapped up in that. Yeah. And then also I quit the show freaks and geeks. I quit that show. If you look at the, the cast of that show, <laughs> I'm probably the only person that was on that show. That's not a, multi-millionaire <laughs> so that's a hard pill to swallow i quit sure. that show i didn't get fired from it i quit so you know so hard to um you know hard to reconcile as i sit here 40 years old in a sober living living in a sober living i have to i have to lay in the bed that i made right. so you know that's just part of life but mm-hmm. it is it is an issue and it is something I work on every day and I have to maintain my mental health about it because if I let it, it'll, it'll, you know, start to make me depressed. Oh, sure. I, yeah, I had uh cause I had a radio career prior to this and yeah, I had many an opportunity to maybe get into bigger markets and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think I was already getting down that road, you know. I was in the lifestyle of self-abuse and being around whatever would continue to fulfill that. So I I know what you mean. I've had many a moments like, you know, God, could I have made it far enough to work with Dr. Drew and be one of the Love Line hosts or whatever it was? And the reality of, of that is, and the, and the reality of that is, yes, you probably could have. You know, yeah. that's the... The thing of uh, uh, the beauty of life, and that's God's gift to us. I really feel like um, anything that we 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 want to get done, if we focus on it, we really can do it. If it's you know re- reasonable. Yeah. What What do you kind of do for daily practices to really help with that stuff? You know, was was the things like coming to a higher power and maybe meditation or? I am I am a yogi. 
Are I you? Started a, yeah, I started a practice called the Isha Kriya. I-S-H-A Kriya, K-R-I-Y-A. You can find it on YouTube. It's very simple. And when I, I started this practice, and after six months, I started to wake up in the morning with a joyful feeling. Huh. It used to take me half an hour to get out of bed. And now I'm waking up in a good mood. So I don't know how this thing works. They they've they mention it. You can read about it, but it's way too scientific for me. <laughs> I can just tell you that in my own experience, it's given me the gift of waking up in the morning in a good mood. And definitely that's been the basis of of my recovery. Oh, I wanted to mention this to you. Yeah. I really felt like I was the worst kind of heroin addict. People, I don't know if they, they think I was on meth, but heroin was really my DOC. Yeah. And in my head, there was no way I would ever quit heroin. I was just in love with this thing. And I was probably going to die from this. The idea of me quitting or getting clean. I didn't even, it's not like, is that possible? I just wouldn't, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. So even when I got in trouble, when I got into treatment, I still had it in the back of my mind. I'm a heroin addict. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I'm going to appease these people. And then at some point, I'm going to go back to my girlfriend. They're not going to keep us apart. And really what happened was I just started to pray. I knew this was going to end in destruction. I knew this was a horrible path to travel down. And I literally just started praying, God, if you're there, please take this obsession away from me. And night after night, in an earnest way. I don't know if you're there, but if you're there, I'll tell you a good way to prove to me you're there. Get this monkey off my shoulder and then I'll root for you, basically was my attitude. And sure, sure enough, one day, literally, it was like a, a switch went off. Huh. And one day we were watching a movie in the group room at in residential treatment. And in the movie, one of the characters threw down a bag of heroin. And prior to that moment, I'd have seen the heroin. I'd have been like, oh, man, I'm get that heroin all snorted smoking and i saw the heroin and i was repulsed by it and i started crying like a in the middle of the movie in front of everyone because i knew at that moment that the the monkey had been removed from my shoulder i knew i just knew that i i wasn't gonna mess with that stuff again so literally prayer and prayer in a in a not, I didn't have a God I was praying to. You, you know, you understand yeah. what I mean, right? Just, yeah. just praying for help. And um, I really feel like that's the, the, probably the main component of how I'm sitting here to uh, coming up on three years in recovery. Because everything else that happened to me, everything else that helped was an offshoot of my initial, you know, just attitude to surrender and to pray and to strengthen my connection with God through prayer and meditation. And the 12 steps. Yeah. So that's, you asked my, you asked the question, what do I do every day? I wake up and I do, uh, I do my yoga every day. And um, I do, I do some other things. I write a journal every morning. Um, and those two things really, when I wake up and I don't do my, my yoga, I can feel it the whole rest of the day. You know, it's like, it's like when you're used to going to the gym and you don't go to the gym. So that's really the, the, uh, the, the anchor for me is that yogic practice. Uh, Isha Kriya. I, I tell it to everybody. I recommend <laughs> it to everybody. It's really the best gift I can give anybody, but I don't think anybody ever investigates it. I'm going to look it up. No, we'll, we'll keep in touch. I, I, I will. Trust me. I, I That's been the ultimate thing about doing this is I've met so many beautiful, wonderful, brilliant people that have dropped so many different nuggets that I'm like, oh, I'm going to try that out, you know, and and I need to because I got severe like back problems and I keep having people like, dude, get back to doing some yoga and stuff. And I'm like, I know. And it's that it's that dangerous. Oh, I know. And it and I still think that's one of my character defects. The old, oh, I know. So I don't have to do it. I don't have to do because I know. I know. <laughs> about it. So, so I don't have to make it apply to me. I feel you. I feel you do. That's a that's a tricky one. Yeah. But you sound like uh, you've been therapized. You sound like you know a lot about what's going on with you. So that's that's good. How long have you been um, in this recovery game? Uh, five, almost six years. And then my relapse was February 15th. So it'll be two years, uh, February 15th, 2023. And then before that, I had a pretty good, good span there. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know. 
on the wagon off at six months, couple of years off the wagon, you know? So. And let me ask you, cause I, I, uh, I do, I think about relapse sometimes mm. and I really don't think like, were you able, when you had your relapse after having some time clean, were you able to enjoy your DOC in that you, I mean, I, I feel like if I tried to use right now, there's no way I could sit there and enjoy the drug because I'd feel too bad. Yeah. No, that's a good, and, and I was gifted with that, Sean, because when it happened and I've had, a, a, had other people say this in group meetings, I, I was sober, mind you. I do not remember driving to the store to grab the beer. Sure. The next thing I consciously recall, I am on the third beer and I got a hold of two people, one gentleman who's just a beautiful, brilliant person by the name of Tony Hoffman, speaks all around the country at schools and my now sponsor. And that would because kind of when I came out of the self-loathing or whatever, like it felt like a psychosis. It it really did to to subconsciously go. You know, there was no. I feel this. I'm gonna go to the store. I'm gonna get my keys. Uh, I'll, it was I'll non-linear. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and it was just like here it is. You know, I think it was like one in the morning, and I have the third beer in my hand. And I'm like this. This 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 is beyond unenjoyable like i i you know because i was already doing this job so i felt it made me feel like a fraud then i felt like a fraud right. to my kids yeah. uh, you know and anyone that was reaching out to me like man wow you get you know but that's crazy that's crazy how powerful the addiction was that it like it acted through you beyond your own conscious behavior like it, it yeah. worked it, it it hijacked your your uh, nervous system and made your muscles move against your will. I mean that's that's hijacked. You know what I mean? So yeah. this stuff is this stuff is uh, you know the other the other point I'd like to make if, if it's all right. Yeah. Um, I feel like the, a very important dimension to this whole recovery thing is the is the element of that it's kind of like spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. Agreed. If you're in your life and you're using some pills or get high on some Coke once in a while, these things are, um, they're pulling you away from the light. I know this sounds crazy, but I'm just saying, cause there's a lot of people that use, but they don't, they don't realize that they don't realize how even a little bit of usage is taking them out of tune with life. And as soon as you're out of tune, then you, 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 it's impossible for good things to happen. Yeah, you know. So I, I just want to want to encourage people that, or or just, you know, share the idea that uh, there is a certain beauty to to. I don't want to say purity, but to what what is it called when you're? They call it straight edge. Just yeah. towards when you like being clean, living yeah. clean. Um, life opens up in a different way to you than it does when you're dabbling in stuff. This is to the person that's not, that's using, but their life may be not unmanageable yet. Yeah. You know, so your life is still manageable, but you're using, I guarantee you're closing off a lot of doors to yourself and life is not unfolding to you in the, in the way and in with the abundance that it should and could if you were to, if you were to eliminate those things and go away from the dark side and just you know yeah so i don't even know how to really say that but it's important to me i see a lot of a lot of young kids in recovery i live at a sober living i've seen i've seen probably 100 young guys and these guys are like early 20s and i feel like they they're in treatment because some adult is telling them to get clean, but really in their mind, they don't really see what's wrong with getting high and taking some Molly and you know what I mean? So yeah. it's important. Um, you know, it, I don't know. I, without repeating myself, it's just life. Uh, it's basically when I was using life was Murphy's law to me. Anything yeah. bad that can happen happened and now just that i'm clean i just see one possibility after the other anything good can happen happens it's literally the opposite 
The guests on Knocking Doors Down are sharing their stories and helping start the conversation about mental health and therefore are working to end the stigma. This is the goal of our partner, the Carlos Vieira Foundation, through their Race to End the Stigma campaign. The Carlos Vieira Foundation created the Race to End the Stigma campaign to not only change the way people perceive those who are living with mental illness, but also how those who are affected perceive themselves. The Carlos Vieira Foundation strives to support the mental health community through education, fundraising, and facilitating resources. The main program through the Race to End the Stigma campaign is a college scholarship program that encourages high school seniors to share their stories about mental health in an effort to end the stigma. For more info on this and how to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. And that's that, that beautiful power of, of our mind. Like, it doesn't mean bad things aren't happening, but we've retrained ourselves to, like, as silly as it is, what is that little Nikki? Uh, let the light in, you know? Yeah, and we, and we do. We start to, our uh, what, what we're, yeah, what we're seeing in the world anymore. And it's not that we don't, you know, like I got a, I got a homeless dude I've adopted here because he's, he's, I don't know how to help him get sober. He doesn't want to, but you know, I help him get some water or whatever. You help him survive. Yeah. And, and, and it's like every time I go and see him and I say, Hey, Arthur, what's going on? It's like somebody knows my name. Like if he's sober, it means something. If he's not, <laughs> it's just like, you know, like, who are you? Are you the dealer? No. Okay. Can I have some Gatorade? You know? So <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's those things that we start to see different. Like, I was a judgmental uh, addict. I would before would have went, look, look at this guy. At least I'm not sitting here out on the streets, you know? And now I go, this is yeah, a human that just right. needs some empathy. Like the way I see the world is different. So to me, there is more light because I've changed myself and still so much work to do. You said it perfectly. You're, it's not so much that life changes, your perspective on it changes. And it also has to do with, with gratitude and start there folks if you're trying to get if you're trying to get here to recovery start with gratitude that's a great place to, to start oh yeah uh, and in do you fight it i fight it like some days i i i realize it is my negative mind that wants to creep back in and just not focus on that it happens to me all the time, constantly. Like yesterday, I had a, uh, I was tracked in the parking garage at, at the Comic Con, and I slipped back into old negative me. At this, at that, how can this happen? This, this is a mess. And then I had to remind myself, bro, you, you know, but you have to train your, you have to catch yourself and train yourself to, to see things differently. But it does happen all the time where I slip back into old habits, and I have to just put myself in check. Yeah. Relax. You're at Comic Con. You're breathing. <laughs> You're not on drugs. You're not homeless. Dude, the last time I was at the L.A. Convention Center for the Comic-Con, the last time I was at the L.A. Convention Center, I was homeless. I had gone there to see some kind of event, but they wouldn't let me into the L.A. Convention Center last time I was there. So three years later, uh, I'm on stage uh, moderating the Sandlot Q&A. So it felt good to, to make that kind of progress. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. And that's the kind of things that, that we can do. And, and, you know, of course that's your story, Sean. And then, you know, I, f- who, for whoever it is, their story is, is different. It doesn't have to be, you know, that type of setting and scenario to, to matter, you know, and, and reflect on it differently. Like when you tell me that there's no ego in that. Right, 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 right. Because, uh, you know, we know what happens, and I'm a firm believer of it, ego edging God out. And when we do that, that's when stuff goes bananas. Yeah, they, um, you know, in, like, when I went into residential treatment, they they introduced us to the 12 steps, but they didn't base their curriculum on it. And um, I don't know, I think I think 12 steps is an excellent program. I, I feel like uh, even if you don't go to an AA meeting or you're not, you don't know where an AA meeting is. You can still get the big book and read that thing. And that book will, will get you through. Yeah. It's a beautiful blueprint. Cause for me, I didn't, uh, rehab wasn't an option. Um, you know, I was a 
primary caretaker and provider and Uh, all those things. And, you know, so I just kind of had to get my, my shit together and maybe took me a little longer than I would have wanted, but Hey, I'm here. How did you detox if, if from alcohol, if you weren't in a rehab, just the hard way? I stopped. I just went cold Turkey and I was pretty lucky. I, a lot of people, you know, I would tell them my drinking, I was a binger guy. I wasn't necessarily an everyday guy, but it was, you know, it was, if I bought a 30 pack, how did the second pack of beer show up you know i was that <laughs> that guy yeah i'm amazed that i didn't i was so lucky knock on wood to not have seizures or anything else and and now you know years later like go to the doctor and be like yeah your liver and kidney functions are are great your health i was like holy shit <laughs> you know yeah like <laughs> you know thank you for probably, looking it was up probably because uh you lucked out probably because your age you know, yeah. if you'd have done that 10 years later, you probably might not be looking as good as you are. <laughs> yeah, no, man. I've I've got family members that it's, it's taken their life. So, you know, I had to admit that for sure. When my mother died, um, the day she died, I drank. What, what size of vodka is that? Fifth? A pint? Yeah, pint. it's like fifth pint. Fifth, yeah. They call it. Fifth is a big one. Anyway, I drank a pint of vodka like that. And I stayed drunk, very drunk for three years. I'm not kidding. I would wake up, drink a bottle of vodka this big, 12-pack of beer. At night, if I woke up at 1 a.m. and I didn't have any booze, I'd have to get to the liquor store before 2 a.m. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to get back to sleep. And one day, I was so... I pickled my insides from alcohol. I couldn't even swallow water. That's how bad my, my lining was here. And I was on the floor in the fetal position. I was also my dad's caretaker and I had to take him to the doctor that day and I couldn't get up off the floor and I saw his bottle of Vicodin on the dining room table. And I said, I was afraid to take it because I couldn't even swallow water. I took a couple of these Vicodin. My pains went away. I could stand up and I took my dad to the doctor. And that was when my really, I started to uh, crave opiates, I guess. And the opiate helped me kick alcohol. I basically quit alcohol cold turkey because uh, when I was drinking, I couldn't feel the Vicodin. Yeah, you found you found the greater solution, right? Yeah, but you know, it helped me get off alcohol, which I'm happy I don't drink these days. I, I really am. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you don't. I'm glad I don't because uh, you know yeah, our man. meeting our meeting might have been something a little different that uh, would have yeah, been. Yeah, I mean, we're, we had trouble linking up, and we're both sober. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It was the uh, holidays, you know? Yeah. Well, you, but you, so you started down this, like, when did alcohol even really come into your life or drugs in general? Was it when you underage or was it really after 21? Cause people are amazed. Yeah. I had older brothers and sisters and I was hanging out with adults sure. on movie sets and stuff. So, um, and my parents had a, a liquor cabinet at home. So I used to go in and, and, uh, take little drinks and stuff when I was probably 12, 13, I started doing that with my high school buddies and, and, and neighborhood pal. So, but just dabbling, you know, right. but it was always fun for me. I think that's one of the major elements about drugs that I got into was the excitement of it all. I like the excitement of doing something I'm not supposed to do. I like how it feels when I'm evading police. You know, I like that whole the excitement of that. Um, I think really what get, being in the movies did, it made me a, a an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. So I found other life just kind of boring. You know, when I went back to school after traveling around, it was kind of boring just going to classes and doing that kind of stuff. So I think that's another thing that I definitely had to work on in therapy is not seeking such an amazing time out here and being able to turn inwards and adjust how I feel in here more than basing it on what's going on out here. That Mm. really helped me turn the corner and really helped me take control of my own mood throughout the day. When I'm not feeling good, when I'm depressed, I I know right away. I'm like, you got to stop that. That thought process is getting you nowhere. You know, I just know that it's not a helpful thought. It's not a helpful mood. And I sit with it and I, turn it around immediately similarly whenever i get i'm just giving you like my best life hacks one after the other similarly as soon as i get as soon as i get the thought or an urge to get high i know right away that that's an insane thought 
I know that my that's an in. I know that it's not sane for me to want to go and smoke meth. So I say to myself, okay, you're having an insane thought. Get rid of it immediately, or it's inevitable destruction. And that's how I'm, I'm. I just do that because if I sit and like romanticize about what it'd be like to twirl that meth pipe around or to, you know, chase that dragon, I don't know what'll happen once those things, once that you know uh, process develops momentum. So I simply don't let it, yeah. don't let it happen. And that's a tough thing for a lot of, for people in general, let alone uh, us in recovery, because we have to start acknowledging that, that feeling, sitting with the feeling sometimes, you know, like I, I, I've been challenged not to avoid it with, with TV, music, podcast, whatever it is, and just really sit, recognize what it is process it a little and maybe understand why am I feeling that thus if I'm feeling it then I start it starts a thought process and you know like you said putting that block which I still have to do work on putting that block like mm, it's an insane thought I've never thought of it that way yeah I mean that's a that's a, a great hack for me because it's cut and dry I just know that's a crazy thing to think stop yeah. being crazy yeah. and that was the other uh, a hard part in re, in uh in early recovery was getting into treatment, looking at myself in the mirror, which I'm not exaggerating. I had, I had avoided mirrors for, I didn't see my surface, my reflection for a long time. And when I finally saw my reflection, the way I looked, you know, in those pictures without any teeth, I literally jumped. I literally jumped. And I had to look at, at myself in the mirror and really be honest fact, about the fact that I had become insane. Mm that I had lost my mind. I could not trust my own thoughts and my own emotions. And I need, this needed to be dealt with and I need to pray to God to restore my sanity. But that's not an easy thing to do to look in the mirror and say, you're a crazy guy. You're, you're, you've lost your mind to the point where you're just, you're crazy to the point of destruction. Like, you know, what's the difference between jail and a sanitarium, you know, (laughs) not much. So, that was difficult, but unless you do that, you can't really fix the problem unless you address it. Yeah. So coming to terms with the fact that I've lost my mind was, uh, was difficult, but very necessary. Well, and, and with the opioids, I mean, you shared that there, just seeing it, I'm, you know, um, God, it's opioids, especially fentanyl, man. It's so freaking scary out there now, but, um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I really don't yeah. want to say when I got off the I got off the street right as fentanyl was coming out. Mm. So I maybe had a couple encounters with it. But I mean, from what I hear now, like heroin does, you can't even get heroin. It's just all fentanyl. Yeah. Um, I don't, and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just crazy. But I know at least a dozen people that have died. And it's just, um, you know, the, and the, and the, the scariest part are the kids that aren't even drug addicts at all. They're just mm-hmm. partying and they order a pill online because they want to party weekend on a weekend and they end up getting sick or dying off a, off of a bad pill they got online. Horrible yeah. problem. Please yeah. do not order pills online. Please. Yeah. 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 And you know, and don't have the, well, my dealer or any of these, these things that we hear with the work that I do. I mean, numerous you know, moms that have come in that have lost lost their sons and daughters this way that, you know, it was uh, exactly that. Like, I mean, an example, one kid doing very well in college, but anxiety, whatever, and goes, oh, I'll just uh, get a get a Xanax off of, off of Snapchat. And it was not Xanax is 100 percent fentanyl in there. It, that's oh, it. No. You know, and yeah, he drank here and there and stuff like that. But like you said, it's not it's not like the experimentation, you know, that. uh that people think it was at one time that, you know, uh, high school, yeah, he got drunk at a party or smoked some weed or whatever. And not that those aren't killer drugs because, hey, you know, alcoholic, but by, by, by admittance, um, but it's just, it's frightening. It's, it scares me for the future for our kids. If we don't really start to focus on the sickness of our society and do the work and encourage it to happen within the home, um, that mental health has to become a greater priority. It's it's gonna it's gonna be yeah it's gonna get worse. I think that's very important what you just said, and I, I agree with you. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, where, where, like you said, I mean, you know, I grew up in a home of addiction. You grew up in a home of addiction. One parent struggling with, with gambling addiction, and you know, and I've had people on here that have suffered from that disease of it too. And you know, these are things not to take lightheartedly. Absolutely not. Another thing, Jason, I want to mention. I, you know, I'm glad we're talking today because I had a couple things that I wanted to talk about. Please, very important. It's very important if you're in like a bad way right now, right? You're on the street, you're about to get sick, you have no money, you need to boost something for your next fix. Like if you're in that spot, <laughs> literally the next thing you do, you could, I'm trying to say you can change, begin changing your situation very quickly. Mm. So it doesn't take a week to turn your life around. Literally the next thing you choose to do can turn your life around. So I don't know how to, how to articulate this, but if you literally, if you, if you go to a detox today, your entire outcome will shift dramatically. Yeah. My point is you can make very good progress with a little amount of effort but you just have to turn in that direction. Yeah. So don't feel like, don't feel overwhelmed by, by the, the, you know, don't despair. Don't despair because a one phone call, reaching out to one person, saying no to that one next bag can literally turn your entire situation around. Yeah. It's about doing the, the, the and I don't know if in meetings, the if next, you hit them, oh, the, the next right thing. The next right thing. Yeah. That's it. That's what I was trying to say. If yeah. you get into that, start doing the next right thing, and it'll only take about three or four things, and you'll see your 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 situation will change. God, the universe will respond to you if you start to try. That's the, that's the key. Life will respond. I think it's important to explain a lot of these concepts, especially with newcomers. They're kind of lost on. Well, what the hell does that mean? You know, what is, you know, spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection me, you know, and there's, there's a lot of these concepts that can, can understandably elude people, you know, I mean, especially if you haven't had a spiritual awakening of any kind, you, you don't know what the hell spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection means. I didn't. I was like, okay. My sponsor's like, oh, you'll, you, you'll figure it out soon enough. You'll know. You'll know. That's the beauty about these 12 steps. They are an instruction manual on how to have a spiritual awakening. Because yeah. Bill and Bill say, listen, we're in this position. The only thing that's going to save us is a spiritual awakening. God is the only guy that's going to pull us out of the spot we're in. And he's giving you instructions on how to do it. And that's why the last step says, after having had a spiritual awakening through going through these steps, so really, that's the point of those 12 steps is to get you to that spiritual. I mean, this is just my my interpretation, obviously. So, you know, really, I feel like I, I had that moment. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And if you do those steps, it, it will happen for you. You know, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you commit to those steps and work earnestly through that. And it, and it doesn't have to take a long time. It can happen very quickly for you, too. Yeah. You just have to put the max effort. That's the one thing I realized with my relapse is that I was doing that. I got this when I never had it. I was, I was, I was fooling myself that I was working it and really I was a dry drunk and there is a difference, you know? So. Addiction is the only thing. It's the only thing really where like, what other thing do you have success by not doing something? <laughs> like as an addict, if I go on the first day, if I don't use, I'm already a black belt. I'm already the best I can be at this. I just have to keep doing it over time, right? I just do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So it's a very strange thing to have success. Like the only way I can prove that I'm successfully recovered is if time goes by. And so it's just a, an odd thing to, um, it's an odd thing to, to, to deal with, you know, to, to, yeah. to, to, win at something by doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I'm good at it. 
<laughs> there you have it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> they just brought brighten the light on me. Light bulb went off. Uh, well, and we get that ultimate promise, right? We are restored to sanity. And you know what's sanity, right? Like it's such a it's such a blurred line. But you know what sanity is for me is me living in a way that where I'm joyful and I, my life is manageable, yeah. and I'm you know engaged in people's lives. Yeah. Because you know, you're trying to figure out what's what's sanity. You know what I mean. But uh, if you're obviously if you're in, engaged in harmful behaviors, you, you need to take a look at things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Oh, that uh, that rush, that adrenaline, those things we search for, right? Hey, let me ask you this. This is a, an, an interesting one, and I've heard people of all different addictions say this, be it the gambling addict that, uh, or the alcoholic, the heroin addict, whatever it was. It wasn't even so much the use of the substance. Like, I don't know about you. Did you ever, like, on edge the anxiety and it was before you did that substance or the uh, the gambling addict showed up at the casino or bought the lottery tickets when they actually entered the location or met with the dealer that all of a sudden the anxiety was like, oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, I there is it's a hopeless feeling when you're a heroin addict. You're going to be dope sick every morning. Mm. You wake up. You have nothing. You're on the street. And you need to come up with $200 before you're sick. You know, it's not a, it's not a good, a good uh, spot to be in. Well, Hey, Sean, uh, you listen to the podcast, so you know, the way I like to wrap it up, uh, let's do some fun, random questions before I leave you with the final thoughts. How about it? Ready? Let's do it. All right. Uh, because I think it would be a good thing. Uh, you write your, your book about your story and uh they go hey let's make this into a movie or a documentary series or whatever it is you know a, a netflix series who out there would you want to play you i was gonna say jonah <laughs> say jonah but i want to play me i want to play me but if anybody I, I would love to watch jonah do it if there's anybody uh there's a couple people like on my bucket list like if i i would love to to do a scene with Jonah Hill at some point. That would be awesome. Yeah. I think it would be. I just thought today he dropped a new promo for his new movie with Eddie Murphy. Looks great. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Jonah Hill is awesome. Um, He's great. And he just put out a new um, documentary on Netflix called Stutz. Have you seen it, Jason? Uh Uh-uh. You need to watch this. And please, your audience also needs to watch this. It's an incredibly powerful documentary. It's him and his therapist. Huh. And the therapist is sharing some very powerful tools that people can use in your own life instantly to immediately start to uh, end depression and, and, and make yourself feel better, like these specific exercises that you can do. And he made it specifically to share these things. You know, he probably pays this guy $1,000 an hour, this therapist, and he's giving it to us for free. So I highly recommend it it's called stut s-t-u-t-z on netflix oh yeah i'll check that out and that is a wonderful thing when people that have that ability to do it just give it away for free you know or this price of a subscription obviously so (laughs) right whatever it is um Boy, now I got derailed from what uh, my next question Sorry. was going to be. Sorry. No, you're good. Oh, no, I was going to say, how awesome would that be to actually play yourself? Because um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Richard Pryor's movie, Jojo Dancer. I love that movie where he plays Great himself. Movie. Yeah, that's such a good movie. Um, I actually know his uh, his son, Mason. Really? Actually. But yeah, he's amazing. I walked into a comedy club one time. It was in Arizona. And... Uh, 
I did my set and I came off the stage and I'm watching this young guy. He's like 18 or 19 years old and he looks just like Richard Pryor and he sounds just like Richard Pryor and he's killing the crowd. And I got chills. I'm like, I feel like I'm watching young Richard Pryor. It's like crazy. And then uh, he got off the stage and I shook his hand. I go, hey, man, you're really good. Uh, and he goes, yeah, I'm Mason, Mason Pryor. <laughs> crazy, dude. Crazy story. Uh, well, being that we're both fans of stand-up comedy, three favorite stand-up comedians. Three favorite stand-up comedians: Sebastian uh, Maniscalco, uh, Bill Cosby, and uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld. All right, I, I loved. I see. I like the irreverent comedy. Just like the dude could talk about anything. You know, it'd be like. Watched a podcast today. Two yeah, guys talking recovery. You know what's up with that? But Why he would make call it the Lakers. There's no lake. Where's the lake? <laughs> um, yeah, he's great. And you know the the sitcom, right? I mean, uh, I was raised on Seinfeld. Absolutely. And that uh, guy, Sebastian Maniscalco, I saw him in the com in Laugh Factory or Comedy Store twenty years ago. I used yeah. to watch him when he was just starting out and he was the funniest guy in the club and everybody knew he would uh, he would blow up. So it's been nice watching him do his Netflix special. He's yeah. funny, that guy. Yeah, he, I can watch him do anything. Oh, he's great. I actually saw and met him and it was probably, let me do the math, is about 20 years ago, he was opening for Dice and my brother oh, was a, was a, uh, doing marketing for an Indian casino up in northern california and so he goes hey dice is coming you know we had the kind of parents we we grew up on that stuff you know it's like nothing was off limits and uh so we went and met dice but sebastian opened and he killed it he was yeah. you know he had this bit at the time about the pink spoon at, at baskin robbins and taste oh yeah, yeah yeah i remember that yeah he had the whole yeah. crowd the whole night you know, ah, yeah, fuck the pink spoon. And oh, he was just, he was awesome. Yeah. Um, and he was killing them back then. You know, it's funny you say dice. If you said, Nate, give me four comedians, I might have said dice. He is, he is one of my favorites, uh, definitely of all time. And, you know, he's uh, obviously Madison Square Garden, Hickory Dickory Dock, and all that. But as far as a uh, live in a club, he's one of the best comics you can see live in a nightclub. If you run into a comedy club and Dice is there, you're in for a treat. Yeah, he has a that it was neat to go to that show because he had a masterful way. The crowd was pretty not not rowdy in a negative way, but you know, there's people that were there and having fun and the whole and he just had a way of taking from the crowd and you could tell he was on his toes developing new stuff right then and there, yeah. you know, and as like And he was in the zone sounds like yeah, that's that's and a I gotta mention name. one other guy. I don't know how I forgot this guy. I think for my money, this guy's the funniest human being on earth. His name is Kirk Fox. You know him? I don't check him out. He's in a, he's on TV, he's been in a bunch of movies. Uh, one movie he was in recently that I keep watching over and over is Bulletproof 2, okay, sequel to the uh, Adam Sandler. He's the funniest guy on earth, and even his Instagram. I don't know where you, I don't know how his brain works like this. You got to look him up. Kirk Fox. All right. I'll write that down. We'll get him looked up. I did a, uh, I did a YouTube series called why not Weiss. And it was really, I kind of loved it. It was my labor of love. I kind of, kind of inspired by Curb Your Enthusiasm. And it's on YouTube. If you look at episode five, which is probably the episode I'm most proud of because Kirk Fox is actually in there. And I got Ron Jeremy, the Ron Jeremy, <laughs> to play my dad. And in the episode, my dad's in a nursing home, and he gets kicked out of the nursing home for fraternizing with the nurses, which is a true story. My dad okay. was in a nursing home and married, at 80 years old, married the nurse from the nursing home. <laughs> old man putting it down at 80 years old baby. your dad was a charmer huh yeah he was yeah he oh was. shit that's too good uh okay this is one i like especially because i know you you know you're you're an aficionado you're on an island whatever reason you can have one movie and one music artist greatest hits with you what are they okay uh, big lebowski pops out I love that movie. It would be a it would be a double double disc. It'd be Big Lebowski and Scarface. Those okay. are my two favorite movies. 
I can honestly say that. And I've never even really thought about that. So help, thanks for helping me figure that out. All right. And as far as an artist, a musical artist, I don't know there's a bunch. I can tell you that I feel like Bob Marley was a prophet in terms of I've never seen anybody maintain a bad mood with some Bob Marley in the background. If, you know what I mean? That yeah. music puts you in a good mood, doesn't it? Yeah, no, you're right. I remember the first time I played Bob Marley, my kids are like, who's this data? Bob Marley, is that the weed guy? I'm like, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, he's the weed guy. Oh. He actually has done a lot for the for the weed business, right? I mean, when we were coming oh, up, it was all, Bob Marley was kind of like your, the entrance into, the, into weed. Because that's, you bought a Bob Marley CD, and that's that store had black lights and black light posters and incense. And you had the the remember the the Bob Marley tapestries. Oh, absolutely! I had I had a Bob Marley black light. Uh, yeah. black light uh, you could always identify your pot smoking friends. They had the Bob Marley tapestry on the wall or yeah. black light or something. Speaking of tapestry, I have this one, but that was put. Can you see that? I mean, oh, it's I kind of yeah. have it so the light can come in. But that was put here by the guy before me. That wasn't my call. <laughs> you just went with it, huh? Leave the good yeah. sunshiny vibes. I don't have the energy to take it down. No, I like it. It's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, all right. Here's a good one. So, I mean, you're getting out there. You're doing um, stand-up. You're getting all kinds of exciting projects, which I, I wish this show was about that because I love talking about that stuff. But I do have to ask a little bit, what what are we working on now? Where are we heading with stuff? Uh, we got some more stand-up gigs. Are you going to start getting touring behind it? Yeah, that's my plan. I'm going to do a tour in the springtime. Uh, but right now, the last like, five, six months, I've just been working on stand-up comedy, um, You know, trying to get good at it, and I've been doing open mics. So nice. I've been playing hard rooms. So I've been taking my lumps like a man. <laughs> and you know it's not always easy but i find that people are so supportive like i did comedy 20 years ago and i'd get on stage and i felt like people were like okay make us laugh and i feel like i get up there now and they're like you can do this you got this bro <laughs> so it's a very nice uh energy to walk up there with uh that's beautiful now, stand -up, i would i wasn't really thinking about getting back in the movie business but i did a movie some producers called me to be in a movie and going on set, being in the movie, made me catch the bug again. That mm. is so much fun. It is like the greatest job in the world. So I would like to, I would like to get back into a movie if I could. Yeah. If you're watching, <laughs> call me. <laughs> That's all right. You ever need a six-one cohort? Uh, give me a call. I miss Got acting. You. I loved it. I loved it. Primarily, that, oh, here, so here's a fun. funny story before I ask you to leave us with some words of inspiration. So after my divorce, I got a commercial agent and uh, the, my highest paying commercial was for an attorney in the Bay Area. And I he, I show up there and they're like, OK, we need someone you to play someone that uh, has been in trouble with the law. We're going to handcuff you in this, simulate an arrest. We need to simulate that you're drunk, and then you're going to uh, call your significant other or someone to bail you out. Do you think you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can nail this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that was my highest-paying gig that I've had as uh, acting. Uh, anywho, uh, Chaw man, thanks. This is great to finally connect with you. Yeah, it's been nice talking, Jason. Yeah, if we we live, if I get down there, I'll let you know. We'll connect in person, hit a meeting or whatever it is, man. But For I'm sure. just, uh, I'm really proud of you. It's 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 uh, um, it's it, it's heartwarming to see that you know you you're you're doing that work and um, you really are like you're sharing with me the people that come up to you at Comic Con. It it. It really does mean something, and um, I just I applaud you for sharing your story and putting it out there because it makes such Thank a difference. Thank you. You know, thank so. you very much, Jason. I appreciate so, appreciate those words. Floor is yours, good sir. If you uh, whatever advice you might want to drop, I have a really cool thing that somebody told me that I try to think about every day. I try to think about it all the time, and it blows my mind. My guru, his name is Sad Guru. He's all over YouTube. He said this, that if you remain in conscious and in constant conscious interaction 
with every atom in existence and in your heart you are mother to the earth even inanimate objects will reverberate differently in your presence so if you stay consciously if you're consciously aware that every atom in your system is in con is in constant contact with every other atom in existence so you're aware of your oneness and in your heart your heart is so open you feel like you're mother to every person on earth if you can close your eyes and just sit with that feeling so if you can be in conscious constant conscious constant, constant interaction and in your heart your mother to the world even inanimate objects reverberate differently around you i always try to think about that and if i'm not in that mood i'll close my eyes and just try to try to raise my pitch raise my frequency you know because if we're not conscious about it it can go here it can go there it can go anywhere so we have to try to maintain control of our mind you know and uh, and then my other just bit of advice would be if you really have an earnest desire to do anything and you ask the creator whoever it is for help and you try at it you're going to have success i dare you to prove me wrong so you know pray for what you want go for what you want and you will get what you want John, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. It was fun. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.